All right. So, Vanessa Frazier, how you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, you're doing well. Out in Cali? Or you're in Portland? Yeah, yeah. Portland. Yeah, originally from California and now in Portland. Got it. Where are you originally from in Cali? Santa Cruz area, um, Scotts Valley, technically, just outside of Santa Cruz. I went to school at Stanford in the Bay Area and then made my way up north to Portland after I graduated. And I have to say, it's a little bit too rainy here for my life. <laughs> a little a little gloomy. Yeah, Portland yeah, has, yeah. has that effect. Uh, yeah. Have you, Did you always grow up in Cali? Born and raised? Yeah, yep, born and raised. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So didn't, didn't fly too far from the nest for school. And then, you know, went one whole state over <laughs> after graduation. <laughs> Definitely a West Coaster. <laughs> nice. I like it though. Did you always have your eyes set on Stanford? My dad went to Stanford and then I had a, uh, like my mom's cousin played football at Stanford in the late 90s. Oh, nice. I was like four or five when he was playing football there. So some of my earliest memories are going to Stanford football games with a bunch of my family and watching him on TV. And my dad is a huge Stanford sports fan, just having gone to school there. So we always had Stanford basketball on and football and pretty much all Stanford sports um, were on in the house. And I just totally latched onto it. And then I think in third grade I one of my friends at school her dad had gone to Cal and Stanford and Cal have a huge rivalry so we kind of embodied that rivalry and and joked around and like to you know go back and forth about Stanford and Cal as third graders as if you know we had any real investment in these schools or sports programs but it was just kind of this fun thing but it really turned into a serious like obsession I would say like I collected Stanford hats and sweatshirts and all the different clothing gear and um, I think even in my my fifth grade yearbook one of the kids in my class signed it and was like you know good luck at Stanford one day so it was pretty it was pretty serious there <laughs> for a while and I, I'm so happy it worked out um, you know that was really kind of the biggest dream come true of my life, um, having had that built up for so many years and see it come to fruition was probably, you know, I don't know if I could ever top that, that particular kind of dream and, and feeling of getting to live it out. Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> I can't say that I had any idea where I was going to go to school growing up. My best bet growing up in Texas would have been that I stayed in Texas and the exact opposite happened. I went to school out of state, a small D3 school to play football at a private university. I would never have imagined or planned that out at all. I think that's probably the more, more typical childhood experience, but just having it, you know, inundated in my face, I really latched onto it. Your family must've been pretty excited. Yeah, um, they were, but I also think them seeing how latched onto this dream I was, they almost took the other side and they were always encouraging me to keep an open mind. And, you know, it's really, it's really hard to get in. And, and I think that was good because that's, that's reality. I definitely was not even close to guaranteed to having it work out. So to be able to have that perspective and them never pushing it on me and almost like being like, 
okay, relax. Like <laughs> there are other options, you know, it was probably really healthy, but of course they were happy to see me fulfill the dream. Kudos to you for Stanford. Like that's amazing. But before we dive into academics, I want to take a step back. Previously touched on it with your kind of athletic background. Walk me through childhood. What sports did you play? What were your interests? So I was an only child. So I was very close with my parents. And I think that probably only solidified, you know, I'm watching Stanford basketball games with my dad, um, mm. not, you know, playing with my sibling and, um, you know, listening to them talk about Stanford sports and activity wise, I never was very good at ball sports. That became very obvious early on in my, in my athletic career, you know, playing soccer as a child, I was terrible and, you know, I tried playing basketball, but it just, just really wasn't my thing. Um, the things I enjoyed that I was pretty good at, I liked playing tennis. Um, I rode horses as well, actually, nice. for a while. I did cheer and dance in middle school, but I also started running at a young age. I started in third grade with a program called Girls on the Run, okay. and I ran my first 5K in third grade. That was a pretty early start as far as running goes. You know, not a lot of kids, unless they're in a in a program like Girls on the Run or something kind of formal don't get exposure to like running a 5k in in third grade and I fell in love with the process of kind of self-improvement setting a goal chasing it trying to get better you know the next year can I improve a little bit year after year so I did that third through fifth grade and then did track and cross country in middle school as well but of course I was still doing doing other activities and wasn't yet fully focused and specialized, but running was always something that I knew I had an affinity for. I knew I had some, at least some talent in and um, always really enjoyed it. That is a perfect segue. I'm going to knock out this intro real quick. Uh, what's up, y'all? Welcome to the State for the Stories podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Elijah. Joining me today, Nike athlete, Bowerman Track Club team member, Stanford alumni, All-American track and field and cross country, a skiing expert, <laughs> VC startup, post-running aspirations, Vanessa Frazier. <laughs> All right. Killed it. Yeah, thanks. That was good. Um, so it sounds like you got into running at a really young age in grade school. When did you know that this was your sport, though? When did you fall in love with the sport of running? I definitely was in love with it, kind of, you know, starting in third grade. When you started? That's amazing, though. Like, yeah. immediately, this is what I want to do. I have a passion for it and a talent yeah. for it. You fell in love with running right off the bat. I fell in love with it. I wouldn't say I necessarily knew that that was going to be the it sport for me, but I knew I would always do it and that I loved it. Um, and then probably it wasn't until ninth grade in high school where I really realized that that was going to be my sport. And that was the only thing I was going to be fully focused on. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it, it kind of ties into my my Stanford aspirations because I started to look up to the Stanford cross country team and putting the two pieces together 
because at first Stanford was just an academic dream. And then I realized, oh, they have this really amazing running program that's very storied, um, lots of success over the decades. And what if I kind of put those two passions together and made it my dream to actually run at Stanford. So that kind of developed in like late eighth grade, early ninth grade um, was that, okay, I wanna go to Stanford, but I also wanna run run for them and I'm going all in on this sport. That's amazing, that's so cool. <laughs> all right, so for those who might not know, what did you run growing up? And then what do you specialize in now? It's kind of funny when you're young, what events are, quote unquote, long distance events, mm -hmm. you know, because it's relative to your size and, and, um, and your age kind of. So, so I'm like a traditionally an endurance based runner, but in sixth and seventh grade, the 400 meters is actually kind of an endurance event because you're so small. So I was pretty good at the 400 because <laughs> I had the endurance. And then it's like, you know, every year, my my best distance kept going up and up and you know high school it's the mile and the two mile um and then college was primarily focused on the 5k and then now as a professional i'm kind of 5k 10k um so keep i keep inching up in in distance and we'll see if i ever get up to the marathon but probably yeah my best distance is around 5k 10k right now just hearing you talk about it the polar opposite of what I was as an athlete <laughs> as I mentioned before a former football player turned runner and the last thing I ever dreamed that I'd be doing is running like I do today which is so crazy what are your, some of your accomplishments for people that don't know you want to walk me through some of your highlights so in college I all-american in cross country and track a few times and i'd say something i'm most proud of that was kind of the most fun race in my collegiate career was winning the pac-12 championships in the 10k that was kind of my my one major major win in college it's it's super hard to win races in well, it's super hard to win races, period, because it's like usually there's 20 people in the race. So you have like a one in 20 chance of winning. And, you know, it's really competitive. It's really deep. U.S. women's distance running is deeper than it's ever been before. I had, you know, a lot of good competition in college and continue to have good competition now as a pro. So winning races is very rare and you got to celebrate it when it happens. Mm -hmm. um, and then as a team, we were third place at the national track championships my last collegiate race ever so that was the highest stanford had finished at outdoor track ncaa championships in i think maybe ever um so that was really cool to be a part of a team you know that was also doing really well and crushing it and, and getting to experience the team the team aspect of the sport which is not as you know, existent in the professional world. So to kind of have that be my last college race of having a really good team finish was mm -hmm. super fun. And, you know, you never forget the moment of standing up on the podium with 20 of your teammates and all getting, you know, the third place trophy and stuff. It would have been cooler if it was a first place trophy, but um, still pretty amazing. And then as a professional, my highlight is probably I had a big breakthrough 
in the 5K in 2020, I ran 14.48 for the 5K indoor. And kind of my goal was to break 15 minutes in the 5K. That's a nice. big barrier for women's mm -hmm. distance running in the 5K. So um, to run in the 1440s was kind of mind blowing at the time and, and super exciting and kind of indicative of, of momentum that I was gaining as a pro because the transition from college to pro can be challenging and it takes some time to adjust to the training. And that was the first race where I was like seeing all the pieces coming together and kind of building momentum. So that's probably the race I'm so far most proud of as a professional. Congratulations to all of it. Excited to see what you do next. Before we touch on where you're at currently, you previously touched based on your athletic college experience. I want to tie it back into your academic college experience. What did you study and focus on in college? My major was called Symbolic Systems which combines coursework in philosophy, linguistics, psychology, and computer science. And the idea is kind of the intersection between computation and cognition. So I have an innate interest in psychology and the brain because of my parents. And I mentioned that I was an only child. And again, that kind of means that I spent a lot of time at the dinner table growing up listening to my parents talk and they're talking about their patients or um, different brain diseases that they're treating. My dad's a neurologist, my mom's a neuropsychologist. So I just had a fascination with the brain, but I also knew I definitely didn't wanna go into medicine. I'm very squeamish. I'm very like hypochondriac. Anytime I hear about any sickness or anything bad happening to someone, I'm like afraid it's gonna happen to me. Mm -hmm. So I knew that, you know, as noble of a career as it is to be a doctor and work in medicine or, you know, any, in any form work in a hospital, I was like, I can't do it, but I'm still super fascinated by the brain and, you know, with, with AI and all the new technology coming out, it's a super interesting intersection with technology and um, computer science, which I'm not a very good coder. I think um, the computer science classes were really hard for me, but I thought it was still really interesting. And that was the path I took in college was study stuff that sounds interesting. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do with it after college. I don't know exactly how it's all going to apply to a career, but I just want to study whatever sounds cool and interesting. Um, and it was, it was, I really enjoyed that major. And then I kind of um, pivoted a little bit and did a master's degree for my, I did five years at school because I redshirted. So I had an extra mm -hmm. year of eligibility and did a one-year master's program called management science and engineering. So it's essentially a business degree um, with like a little bit of engineering mixed in, but mostly business. So that was a cool combination with my undergrad degree of something that, you know, undergrad was a little bit theoretical. And then the grad degree was maybe a little bit more um, practical, at least on the surface. So yeah, I really enjoyed that combination. What do you find most interesting about neuro? psychology, philosophy, you touched on a number of various topics, but what do you find the most interesting about it? I mean, 
I just think as much, you know, research is done on the brain, the fact that it's still so enigmatic and such a mystery. And even I think the craziest thing about the brain is you have all these conscious thoughts and conscious things going on in your head. And that's, you know, I don't, we don't know the exact percentage, but that's such a small percentage. Like your subconscious is way more greater than your conscious thoughts. And so to think that there's this kind of mysterious hidden part of your brain that's ruling so many of your decisions and feelings and things that like you're not even aware is going on is pretty crazy. And then I think also tying in the philosophy side of things, just philosophy of mind and the idea of what is consciousness really? And, you know, what makes up this feeling of me being me? And like, that's all kind of tied to what's going on in my head, but mm-hmm. it's just such a, it's such a bizarre thing that doesn't make sense. And I think that's why it's so fascinating. It's just like a lot of it just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very drawn to it. <laughs> Do you have a specific theory of interest to you? That's where my interest in venture capital comes in is um, kind of the behavioral economic side of things. So I did an undergraduate thesis called the dynamics of venture capital decision-making. And I uh, did kind of qualitative type interviews with around 30 different venture capitalists in Silicon Valley and really tried to understand what are the, what's the process behind deciding to invest in a company? What are kind of all the factors at play for you? And it did vary among different investors and different firms and some firms are larger and they have a whole group that they have to vote on investment decisions and some make the investment decisions on their own individually and kind of looking at what goes into those decision-making processes and again you know they'll tell you it's more art than science right it's so much about like who is the entrepreneur as a person? What's kind of like compelling us about these different traits that we see in this person? Do we think they're going to be able to make it as an entrepreneur? It's not just about the idea. Sometimes it is, but there's a lot of these intangible factors. So that makes the decision-making process a lot more interesting because there's so many biases that can come into play. Again, there's like these subconscious biases that we're not even aware of are affecting these decisions and kind of under so trying to understand like what are those biases that they experience how do they manage them how do those come out into play what makes you know a successful decision maker in the venture capital universe so that's kind of how I applied the cognitive side of things to this interest in venture capital what is your top business idea (laughs) <laughs> what's, what's your VC startup idea that you want to do soon? I know you have one. You have to have one. I know you do. I, I do think of random ideas, like just, I don't know, on a run or I'm in the house and it just something comes to me. Mm-hmm. Nothing that is like a, my million dollar idea that I'm obsessed with, which is why I think I'm kind of currently more interested on the investing side of things because I like hearing what other people are excited about and kind of buying into a lot of various different ideas that other people have and getting excited about those missions. I've had, I have like really kind of 
like this one idea that I have, for example, I'll give an example. Be vague. Uh, I'll sign an NDA. <laughs> no, this isn't going to change the world. It's not something I would probably spend time on pursuing. It's just uh, like kind of a dumb idea that I mm-hmm. wish existed is like um, a photography service for not just influencers, but anybody at an event. So say you're at Coachella and you're like, damn, I really want to get a cool picture. And I don't want to like bug this person to take a picture of me and my friends right now, or, you know, me and my boyfriend, but I don't have another person in the group to take a photo. So I have to ask a rando and it would just be an, an app at like a event like Coachella or at a game or a concert or whatever, where you could pay a couple bucks to somebody who's like signed up to be, you know, a a quote unquote photographer, not, doesn't have to be a high level photographer, just be somebody who knows how to frame an iPhone picture. And, you know, I think a lot of people would be willing to pay a few bucks for a good photo at an event rather than having to like ask a rando and you know, <laughs> that whole awkward exchange. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. like my one, that's one like kind of silly idea that I probably wouldn't actually pursue, but things like that come to mind sometimes. Well, I love that idea. <laughs> and you're talking to a photographer right now. Yeah. So if you ever want to go to business together, let me know. You can make it up. Back in college, were you a full-time athlete and a full-time student? Yeah, I was technically. I felt like it worked really well for me because I was all in on running and that was probably a lot of times the priority. Like you got to put the books away at a certain time in order to get enough sleep to be ready to train the next day. But I did well in school and I really enjoyed the balance it gave me because you have stuff to think about during the day rather than just thinking about your sport and you have things that make you feel accomplished outside of the sport. And I think that's a huge thing that is sometimes missing in the professional world, because if you're not accomplishing your goals in running, but you do running full time, it's like, what else is going to make you feel kind of satisfied and accomplished because everybody needs that feeling of like those little those little dopamine hits of of achieving something you know what big or small it could be very small but even just in school like finishing a problem set finishing a paper like turning it in getting a good grade or whatever like those were things that kind of made me feel good outside of running and made me feel like you know, for lack of a better term, like a a worthy and accomplished person, no matter what was happening on the track. So I actually think that model of full-time student, full-time athlete, as hard and as busy as it was, was really, really good for me in terms of that balance and, and that kind of healthy mindset. I was in a similar boat, full-time athlete, full-time student, played football, and then had a full load of courses. Just was constantly busy though, which I don't mind. I operate better and best when I have a full plate. Fast forward to now, outside of running, where do you find that balance? Where do you find those small wins and accomplishments outside of your sport? You know, it's something that I'm still kind of figuring out and working on. And I think um, I mean, it could be really simple, like learning a new song on the piano, like a new song that, you, you know, you're really vibing to and you 
get the music for and and learn on the piano mm-hmm. or you know that gives a sense of of accomplishment that feeling of you're doing something you're pursuing something you're achieving something but i also think part of it as a runner because it's like it really does take so much time to be good at what we do it's like not just the training not just the gym work the pt the massage the recovery you know the list goes on that can take up a lot of our days and so i think learning how to break those things down into little accomplishments and and you're not even if you're not getting any external validation for them like finding a way to kind of have a reward system for yourself of like throughout the process i'm doing these little things every day that seem really small and mundane but i'm finding so much satisfaction in doing them because i know that it's making me better and just being able to find a way to celebrate getting better even if you're not again getting an external you know on paper achievement or a goal that everybody can see and recognize but really being able to break it down into like i'm bettering myself and finding the joy in that of just like trying to get better every day so I think it's twofold, right? Like balance is important. And there are definitely little things that I do to kind of like find that and find joy. But sometimes there's just not a lot of time in the day to incorporate that. Mm -hmm. And so then that's the other piece of learning how to, um, yeah, just make, make little accomplishments for yourself out of nothing and celebrate the super mundane day to day grind. Small things have a big impact for sure. Before we get into your day-to-day and even where you are currently as a professional athlete, I want to dive into two things, your talent playing the piano and also with skiing. So how did you get into piano? We'll start there. I think with both piano and skiing, I don't remember the beginning. Like I literally can't remember a time before I did it and I can't really remember learning it. So mm. I must have been <laughs> that young. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um so it was just kind of something that I always knew how to do in my, you know, in my conscious memory, which is kind of a cool thing. Especially piano. I mean, it's just something I did every day growing up and it's so different than any sport in that it's just a different expression of yourself and it's yeah I mean there are similarities in terms of it takes practice and time and commitment and stuff but just so different from anything else I've ever really committed to so just kind of an interesting contrast to that um it's not something I do a ton now but I do have you know just like a little keyboard and and we'll play around here and there um And then, yeah, skiing is just kind of this passion that I'm not able to do because I'm a runner and it's too risky, but it's something that I just love. Like I just always got that insane adrenaline rush and I kind of the same mindset I applied to running, I applied there in terms of like always wanting to learn how to be better. Like how can I get better technique and I didn't get to do it a ton because I didn't live near a mountain, but going up, you know, for a week 
or a weekend a few times a year and just kind of like going all in for that short period of time I think made it more special and and I think also now not being able to do it makes me appreciate it more and yearn for it more and you know I was super inspired watching the Winter Olympics and again just something that's there are similarities to running, but also something that's so different, I think is um, really appealing. Can you play chopsticks on the piano? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can. I don't know how to play the piano. Let me start there. But that's like the only reference I can give to anyone who does play the piano. Yes, I probably learned how to do it at some point. I played like all classical music growing up and then nice. now I kind of will just play fun pop songs that mm. I'm into at, you know, at the moment just because it's kind of fun to play pop but yeah I always always played classical you as an athlete your race day ritual what's on your playlist Ooh, <laughs> I I usually will go to like really lit old throwback songs like Nelly or Chris Brown or, you know, yeah. Um, just classics that you probably like when I was in middle school were, were bangers. Um, just something about the throwbacks hit different and, you know, just get you in a different, a different <laughs> frame of mind. Um, I like heads will roll a lot for a pump up song. Just some, you know, some random, some random go-tos. You should drop a recommended playlist. That would be I so know, dope. That would be cool. That'd be cool. I do. Yeah. I like a lot of different types of music. So depending on the vibe, it's like the pre-race playlist would be super different. Kind of fun to, to mix it all together. Do you have different playlists for different workouts? Not specifically, but I should make them because okay. I kind of, yeah, I'll have like kind of different vibes. Also, just depending on my mood, right? Like sometimes I just want something really chill and sometimes I want something really hype. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. I think now when I go out running and training or workouts, my playlists vary, but for the most part, it's pretty chill music. For a point of reference, when I was playing football, I listened to instrumental music. We're talking about center stage, Texas high school football, even in college, where you have thousands of eyes on you watching you play and this is your sport and you're in center stage, right? I just listen to chill music, just like calm, cool, calm, collected was my mindset and very much my music reflected that. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said about getting into that Zen meditative state before, you know, before an intense effort. When I stepped on that field though, shifted 100 yeah. percent, a totally yeah. different person that I was on the field as an athlete than I was off the field yeah <laughs> walk me through you as an athlete as a competitor on race day and you're on that track like walk me through your mindset I think before I get on the starting line and kind of like the whole day before and the warm-up and like walking up to the track I'm very nervous but the way I channel my nerves is not like getting super intense and focused, I kind of go to the opposite end of the spectrum and I'm very goofy and giggly and just like having a lot of fun. Cause that's kind of the way I, I cope with it. Right. It's just like 
I mean, I am having fun, but <laughs> to almost fake it till I make it like this mm-hmm. is like, you know, a big party, best day ever, whatever. And then when I get onto the track, actually, like right before the race starts, then I get very, very lasered in, very focused. Um, you know, the nerves and adrenaline are getting pretty high. And then, I, I, you know, I'm like zoned in on on my goal and, you know. What did uh, uh, the, our college coach used to say? Like that's like when the stone cold killer comes out. Mm. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, very bubbly, laughing, goofy, having fun until yeah, it's like stone cold killer time. My favorite moment as a football player was right before the game when we walked the field. The way that I would describe it is the calm before the storm. Walk me through the transition to becoming a professional athlete. Let's go through post-college. How did you get to where you are now? I never thought I would be a professional runner, first of all, until probably like my senior year, my fifth year even of college. And I had just kind of this steady progression throughout college where, you know, I started out, I, you know, was on the team, but I was a preferred walk-on, which means I didn't have any scholarship money. And over the years, worked my way up and and started to see a lot of success. But I think that just goes to show, you know, I wasn't a five-star standout recruit coming out of high school, always having dreams of running at the Olympics or running professionally or whatever have you. Like, I was truly happy to be there and be at Stanford, right? That was my lifelong dream. So I hadn't really thought beyond that. But yeah, so the professional dream kind of developed later in college when I started to really come into my own and see success. And I began to kind of put my eyes on the Bowerman Track Club because they had, you know, I think almost all of the women on the team in 2016 made the Rio Olympics and they were just kind of starting as I was about to graduate college, like really gaining notoriety as one of the best professional women's distance groups in the country, if not the world. And now I would say more than ever, it's probably one of the deepest women's distance groups in the world. And it's an amazing opportunity to be a part of, but it also tests me daily because now we're a group of seven women. So I'm one of seven, we have a men's team as well, but on the women's side, Um, I'm the only one who is not an Olympian. So I train with six other Olympians. And again, like I said, it's an incredible opportunity. They're some of the best runners in the world, but that's the standard that I'm comparing myself to every day. And um, it's a double-edged sword, right? Like sometimes it it breaks you down a little bit because you, um, you know, if you're not there yet and I went through a big injury and, and sometimes it just feels like there's a big gap between where I am now and where I want to be. But at the same time, I'm like the only way to get to where I want to be and get to the top is to like surround myself with those people. So it's, it's a constant battle, but um, just an incredible group of women and our coaching staff is incredible. I just really respect um like their knowledge and their training, I think is just 
the best to get the most out of myself. And, and that's the goal at the end of the day, isn't any accomplishment, isn't any, you know, winning a race, becoming Olympian, all that stuff is really cool. But at the end of the day, it's really about like, how can I get the most out of myself and see how good of a runner I can be. And I can't really control how good anybody else is. And because I can't control how good anybody else is, there could be 10 people better than me at the end of the day. If I'm still getting the best out of myself, like there's nothing else you can do. Right. So I think Mm -hmm. sometimes, um, what I've learned since becoming a professional is, is how to, manage those things of like having these goals of achieving certain things, but also realizing some of it's out of your control and you just have to focus on how to like optimize yourself every day. So that's kind of been the learning and the mindset of my three and a half years as a professional. And on top of that, I had a big surgery halfway through it all. So, um, you know, lots of trials and tribulations, but also an amazing experience, an amazing group of people that I'm surrounded by every day. Iron sharpens iron, right? Exactly. Yeah. Before we get into some of your challenges and surgeries and injuries over this past year, I want to dive into your current day-to-day. Walk me through your day-to-day now as a professional athlete. It's um, really not that exciting. (laughs) It's a wake up, have breakfast, you know, not super early, maybe around eight. And then usually either a run or a track workout starting around nine, nine thirty. And then depending on the workout, you know, that's last an hour and a half or two and a half to two and a half hours. And then maybe like an hour in the gym, um, not super intense lifting, a little bit of heavy leg lifting, but a lot of just like mobility and kind of body weight type stuff. And then, you know, then you have lunch, maybe take a nap, you're pretty tired. So you kind of rest, don't feel like doing anything. And then either like a PT or a massage, um, session. And then sometimes a second run, it's only like 30 minutes, but still just like getting out the door again, then dinner and bed. I mean, it really is eat, run, sleep, run, eat, sleep, repeat, like very simple day to day. (laughs) Do you have a favorite workout? I have a few track workouts that I really like. So we do track workouts like twice a week. Um, And then the other days are a little bit lighter, but the track sessions are usually really hard. And I hate anything that's like all out speed because I mentioned earlier, I'm very endurance based. So the speed stuff is hard for me. So I like longer repeats, like hard mile repeats. I really like, or even like a, a, a ladder workout where it's like mile 1200 800 400 um, I like that too but yeah longer stuff is good <laughs> let's dive into some of the challenges you faced this past year I think I kind of touched on just like talking about the group the idea of um of being able to 
find validation in your personal improvement journey, even if you're not like achieving big things on paper. And again, that, that idea I was talking about even earlier about just finding ways to really celebrate the little steps along the way. So I had surgery in May of 2020 on both of my Achilles to address like a very long standing issue in my heels that was causing tremendous pain. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to continue training and racing at the level that I wanted to with so much pain. Like it was seriously inhibiting my ability to enjoy running, but also to like, I was, you know, not able to keep progressing my training at the level that I wanted to. So it was kind of a no brainer. Like I had to do it. Um, I reached my breaking point and, um, you know, I, initially felt like my recovery went really well, like kind of getting to that 90% recovery threshold was smoother than I would have anticipated for double surgery. But then kind of getting from 90% to that 100% level, um, you know, I'm still working on it's like those final percentages and final pieces are, are the challenge to put back together. And I had, you know, another injury um last year that sent me back a little bit and just kind of missed a lot of consistency and that's the other thing with running is is consistency is the only real way to get better and it's not a secret it's just simple consistent work and so missing a lot of training throughout the year because of the surgery and then another injury and it's like it's just hard to put those final pieces back together you can't rush it you can't force it, it takes time And I had this big dream of making the Olympics last summer. And in my head, it was, you know, a full year after surgery, that should be plenty of time to be back in full form. And had I been, you know, in my full form, feeling like myself, I definitely was a contender for making the team. Of course, you never know what's going to happen on the day, but I was definitely in the conversation. And that was kind of the goal that was driving me for like a whole year through this recovery was like, I'm going to do it. I have confidence in myself and, um, you know, let's make this happen. I was super, super motivated to do it. And, you know, like I said, like, I just, I just couldn't force those final pieces to come together. And for whatever reason, like I just wasn't in the form that I was in pre-surgery and I just didn't feel like myself. And it's really hard to go to the line at the Olympic trials, feeling like you're not the best version of yourself. And it's frustrating because you put everything into that one race, that one goal, like for 365 plus days, year after year. So I think that that was just tough. Like it's just tough to have challenges and to not reach your goals. And, And that's where I say kind of that piece that I've really been learning over the last year, especially being in a group where everybody's done what I want to do. And of course they have even bigger goals. They want a medal now. Like there's always something else that you want to do. Once you achieve one thing, it's always the next thing. And once you get a medal, then you want a gold. And once you get a gold, then you want a world record or you want another gold. Like it never ends. But my point is like, for me right now, where I'm at, to me, all these women have achieved like the pinnacle of the sport by going to the Olympics and they've achieved what I really want to do and 
so that comparison can be can be difficult sometimes because I'm like why why couldn't I do it and I mean you know I think a big reason was that I got surgery or before but um I think just kind of like dealing with that and being able to separate separate your identity from your accomplishments which is super hard as an elite athlete because it just kind of naturally happens when you're so invested in these goals and it's what you do every day that you're so committed to like your accomplishments do feel like they're a part of you um but like i think that not achieving that made me really realize like I, at the end of the day i'm still the same person I still worked just as hard every day. Like I'm still just as, you know, committed to continuing to better myself. Like nothing really changed except for, you know, this one accolade on paper. And, you know, I think that's something everybody, everybody has to work on in their life, whether you're an athlete or not, is just separating yourself from the title, like the title on your resume, the title of your job achieving this, achieving that, not achieving this, not achieving that, like at the end of the day, that really doesn't matter as much as it feels like it's everything. I think I just learned that, you know, through experience, like, okay, the sun still came up. I'm still me. Like, I still like the same things. I still work hard. Like everything's the same. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know, that's kind of like a long-winded explanation of some of the things I've learned in last year. And I think, the other piece too of it is like learning how to fail and um and that's just life and that's you know talk about an entrepreneurial journey or, or getting into startups like more than not there's failure and it's it's just kind of like learning how to learn how to deal with that learning how to keep pushing you know despite failures talk about um you know skiing and accomplishments watching the winter olympics i was super inspired by michaela schifrin who you know heavy heavy um gold medal favorite you know returning gold medalist and she fell her first two runs and you know on paper didn't really achieve that much the entire olympics but to me i thought what she did was like way cooler and way more inspiring maybe even than if she had won a medal because she like fought to come back and I forget what place she got and like a, her other two individual events like ninth and 13th or something which someone her it almost doesn't matter right, right? it doesn't matter it doesn't matter but the fact that it wasn't even really close to a medal mm -hmm. is like maybe to her that was super disappointing or to some people they think that's really disappointing but to me I'm like because you weren't really even close to a medal but you still like kept fighting is so inspiring to me and that's kind of makes me realize like yeah at the end of the day like it really doesn't yeah it doesn't matter whether you medal or whether you you know checked this box it's kind of like how you just kept fighting and grinding getting back up is definitely very admirable there's no greater fuel than failure, mm -hmm. in my opinion. I love failing. As weird as that sounds, I like actually yearn to fail. Mm -hmm. For you, you talked a little bit about this. Where does your inspiration come from? What's driving you 
I mean, at the end of the day, it's pretty intrinsic. And I think that's the healthiest form of motivation is when it is intrinsic. So it's like, I'm doing this for me and no one else. I think it's easy in the age of social media and also, you know, as a professional, when you have financial implications on the line, you have contracts and deals and partnerships on the line, um, funding from your governing body, USA track and fields on the line, like all these different little sources of money um, depends on how you do. And this, yeah, with social media, just, um, you know, getting recognition on social media is a drug that I think a lot of, especially athletes who have platforms and, you know, kind of micro influencer type spaces, like you kind of fall, you kind of fall into trap sometimes with that. It's like really hard not to, when you, you know, if some, if you do something great and everybody's appreciating it on social media, like that's just a drug that who wouldn't love that. So I think it's just like really easy to get distracted by these different external um, motivators or mm-hmm. you know, I don't even want to say motivators because I think they're so negative, but I mean, it's almost impossible not to with all the different like financial incentives too. But like, if I really stop and think about it, I'm like, that really doesn't matter to me. Like it really what really lights my fire at the end of the day is like trying to figure out how good I can be. And that's for Mm. myself. And like, it really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks or, you know, how much or less money I'm going to make at the end of the day for doing or not doing something. Just having the perspective too of like, I'm, you know, not going to be an athlete forever. Like social media might not be, or social media is always changing. Who knows what Instagram is going to be in 20 years? Like all of this stuff is fleeting in terms of like those short-term reward mechanisms. But what is it that I'm going to be like really proud of, you know, in 20 years? So having that Mm -hmm. big picture perspective kind of helps recenter around like, okay, what's like the actual motivating force here? What actually matters and what do I actually care about? I love that. That was my one football injury. I sprained my Achilles uh, when I was in high school. And that was the worst pain I've ever felt in my entire life. What was your injury? I had um, basically these bone spurs on my heel bones, on my calcaneus bones, that it was, it's an overuse injury just from all the pounding over time and my particular biomechanics, like just created bone growth on my heels and as the bone spurs grew they started to dig into the insertion of my achilles and create like all this micro tearing so i had about like a 30 percent tear on my left achilles but all my achilles were just like if you looked at it on an mri they are just like lit up because they were fraying everywhere like all the little fibers were frayed so they had to shave down the bone clean up the tendon, like remove all those little pieces that were fraying. Um, it was really painful. <laughs> Talk about being squeamish. You have no problem <laughs> describing that in full detail. I don't believe you one bit. Well, I would Man. say um, like, like sports injury, sports injuries and like orthopedic surgery that doesn't freak me out as much. Cause it's like, 
I, I don't know. I just think it's cool. But, you know, if, if we were talking about like, you know, opening up my guts or my brain or any other, you know, that would be too much. Listening to you describe it, it brings back the worst memories um, and the feelings. But I can also only imagine how difficult it must have been for you and also for anyone overcoming an injury, that mental factor, the mental hurdle you have to get through to get back to where you were and even better than you were before. Walk me through that experience for you. Having the Olympic dream about a year out from surgery was really good. Like, I think just having something that really motivates you is so helpful. And then I did a pretty good job about like breaking it down into bite-sized pieces. Like, okay, like I'm just gonna, I just want to get to the point where I'm not wearing my walking boots anymore. I want to get to the point where I can bike I want to get to the point where I can pool run I want to get to the point where I can run the anti-gravity treadmill and just like breaking it down so that I had something to kind of celebrate every week that part was I mean challenging but doable and then kind of getting back into running and training I did the same thing and that's all you can do is just like yeah those little bite-sized rewards that help you get through every week And the challenge really came kind of what I alluded to where like the last few percentages of, of, you know, getting from 90 to a hundred was the hardest thing. And I didn't anticipate that at all. Like I thought, oh, just like getting through walking in boots for a month is going to be terrible. But really it was like the opposite end of the process of like, okay, I'm at the Olympic trials and I'm here and that's great, but I'm not a hundred percent myself. And that's really frustrating. And, you know, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't think I necessarily handled it as best as I could have, but I don't think anybody can, you just kind of learn through it. So, you know, did I, was I like as mentally as best as I could have been through that? No, but I maybe learned, you know, how to be better in the future. <laughs> you got back up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So how do you feel now? I feel good. I feel, you know, I'm pain free, which is huge. That's number one. That's, you know, the only way you're really going to be able to get to where you want to be. And I've now been healthy and consistent for like a year with my training, which is another huge piece. Like I said, just consistency over time. Um, So now it's just a matter of, um, you know, training's going well, but I just need to get some more races and wait for it to all click. Like sometimes with running too, like you, it can be going well, training can be going well, races are going well, but not, you know, fireworks. And then all of a sudden one day you just break through, feel amazing, run a personal record, whatever. And that's kind of like, the challenging thing is you don't know when the timing is exactly going to click. And it's just kind of like, not even waiting for it, but like being ready for it. Like I'm ready for it. I'm doing everything in my control. I think the fireworks are coming. I just don't know like exactly what day it's going to all, you know, explode (laughs) in a good way, in a good way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I get it. Stay ready. So you never have to get ready. Yeah. It's such an amazing feeling, though, when you have that, let's call it intuition, that gut feeling that something great is around the corner, you know, Mm -hmm. like when it's all going to align up, when it's all going to click, 
And to your point, when it, everything's going to explode in the best way, yeah, that's such a great place to be. Yeah. Yeah. What's next for Vanessa Frazier? Super close on the horizon. I'm racing a 10K this Saturday um, down in California. So my goal there is to run uh, the world standard. So for the track, you have to run a, a certain time standard. And then at US championships, you have to be top three in order to qualify for the world team. So it's like two different two different hurdles to jump. So the first one is getting the time standard. So that's just my goal this weekend in the 10K. And then um, as far as this summer goes, I'll have probably two chances to try to qualify for the world team, both the 10K and the 5K all race at US championships. Um, but again, I don't want to like tie up all of my goals and all my worth into making Team USA. I think it's a great thing to shoot for, but it's not totally in my control. So beyond that, I just want to run fast. Like I want to, I want to go PR in the 5k this summer. I want to, you know, hopefully go back to Europe and race. Cause it's been a few years since I've been able to do that. And just kind of like, yeah, just keep putting the pieces together. Cause I am very like long-term, long-term mindset, even now, like this year is important, but the next few years are big in track and field too. And I just, yeah, I want to keep building those pieces together and run fast, have fun. <laughs> Pretty simple. You heard it here. Run fast, have fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. It sounds like you're in a really great place and space mentally, physically with your recovery, everything. It sounds like you're in a really great spot right now. Um, and that's super exciting. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Stay tuned. More to come. As always, stay for the stories.